0: Thank you, Brother Mike. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. At the conclusion of our service tonight, I do want to have a special uh, altar of prayer for our uh, Vacation Bible School and for our backyard Bible Clubs. And uh, I know I say it all the time, but I can't emphasize enough that you can do the Lord's work, but if you don't do the Lord's work in the Lord's power, with the Lord's blessing... It is just ineffective, and uh, we we really need to uh, be seeking that. And on Sunday nights, we uh, recently, as most of you know, started a series on rightful authority, how to use it, how to follow it. I realize uh, it's not a fancy subject. I know it's not a subject that causes you to sit up and say, wow, I'd really always wanted to hear and learn more about that, but it is a subject that is extremely important. And if we don't understand this subject, we are not going to do well in our homes, we're not going to do well in society, we're not going to do well in the Lord's church, and and that's just not good at all. Uh, Remember, living forever and living well here and now, they're two different things. Uh, People get to live forever by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus. But you can have faith in Jesus Christ, and you can choose to live your life in such a way that makes your life a big mess. And so what we're talking about, these are not things that cause people to be saved. You get saved by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, But these are the kind of things that cause Christian people to have all kinds of turmoil in their life. And live a life that's not blessed, and so this is really important. Even though we might not be as interested as we probably could be, uh, we spent time laying the foundation for rightful authority. Remember, God's a creator; He He makes the rules. Uh, but since none of us have audibly heard God's voice nor visibly seen God, what God did is He gave us something we can see and hear. He gave us a copy of the scriptures. And so we can know God's will. And in the Scriptures, God delegated some of his authority under some circumstances to some people. And uh, we are talking about how to use that authority and follow that authority where it's been delegated. He delegated uh, authority of, to husbands over their own wives, to parents over their own children, to pastors over the church where they lead. Not a superior over an inferior to equals fulfilling a role assigned for them uh, by them to them by our creator. Now remember this, the mutual love of a husband and wife, a parent and child, and a pastor and people, it shapes how we interact. And fill these roles. And when we lose sight of that, we will miss uh, a part of what the Lord has for us. The last time I taught on a Sunday night, uh, we laid out a couple of guiding principles for both leaders and followers. Uh, You may or may not remember them. Remember, leaders and followers both need to be sure they have reasonable expectations for one another. Our satisfaction is directly linked to our expectations, not to the truth. And so if our expectations are not right, we are going to mess up. And we challenge each other to remind ourselves that we're all just dust uh, with the breath of God uh, in our nostrils. And remember the second thing, how well we fulfill our role as a leader or as a follower, it depends on us, not on the other person. Our ability to be a good leader doesn't have to do with how well people follow us. Uh, our ability to follow has nothing to do with the leader. It comes out of our own heart. And if we fail, it's on us. Uh, tonight, we're going to begin a little bit more of a detailed study with followers. And we'll get to leaders eventually. And we're going to begin with followers, even though it is not the natural way we think about this. Um, But we're going to begin with that because that's the way God begins. God always, or nearly always, I think there's one exception to this, uh, but nearly always instructs followers before he instructs leaders when he instructs both. And I I hope you realize as we study all this stuff that none of us can do or be what we're supposed to be without the grace of God and the help of God's Spirit. We need his enabling power to fulfill uh, these roles. And I hope tonight as we begin to talk about how we should follow when we're filling that role that you and I have the ability always to make our leaders better. Uh, teenagers, you can make your parents better parents. Wives, you can make your husband a better man. Uh, as a congregation, you can make me a better pastor. That's a powerful thing. It really is. Uh, go ahead and stand, if you would, in honor of God's Word. The title of my thought tonight is The Heart of a Faithful Follower. By the way, before I read, I appreciate the men we have that fill the pulpit here while I'm gone, and I uh, appreciate young men like uh, Stephen, who filled this pulpit on Wednesday, and middle-aged men now, uh, like the two Joes who filled it last Sunday, because uh, at this point I'm not a young man, I'm an older man. And I don't like to face that, but I have to look in the mirror and I think to myself, who's that guy? The heart of a faithful follower. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. By the way, before we go on, notice who God instructed first. He instructed the wife, then he instructed the husband. He instructed the follower first. I'm just teaching the Bible. Don't be mad at me. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long in the earth. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Again, before we go on, notice who he instructed first. Who did he instruct first in verse 1? Children. Instructed the follower first. Then verse 4, then he instructed the parent. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Uh, Look at verse number 5. Servants. Uh, Be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service, as men-pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free, and ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, Knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is their respective persons with him. Notice the same thing when he instructs employees and bosses. Who does he instruct? Verse first in verse five. He instructs the employee, the servants, and who does he instruct? Secondly, the leaders. In verse nine, uh, masters do the same things unto them. Thank you. Might be seated. Now, while it not be our natural, intuitive way of thinking about this, when God instructs both leaders and followers, He instructs followers first. And it shouldn't surprise us, since the whole issue of authority in all these areas is something that God established, that God has a plan and a way that He wants leadership exercised, and He has a way that He wants it followed. And he has plenty of instruction for leaders, and we will certainly get to that. And those are much higher standards than for followers. But when he gives us instruction, he begins his instruction always with the followers. We won't take the time to do that tonight, but if we were to turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, through chapter 4, verse 1, where he goes through the same list of instructions... Again, he instructs followers and then leaders. Same thing in 1 Peter chapter 3 when he instructs husbands and wives. Now, though this is opposite of the way we think, it is the way God thinks about this. You see, the kind of follower that all of us are depends first and foremost on what is in our own heart. I just want to remind everybody here tonight that there is no perfect leader except for God. And I want to remind you that though God's leadership is always perfect, people don't follow His leadership. His leadership is always perfect, and yet there are people everywhere who want nothing to do with the leadership of God in their life. And those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ and are more serious followers of Jesus Christ, we're back at church on a Sunday night. If we're honest, in our hearts, every one of us here struggle from time to time to follow the leadership of God, and his leadership is perfect. You know, maybe the problem is a lot more in our own hearts than we like to admit. See, we always like to blame the leader for everything we do and don't do, and we always bring up examples of ungodly leaders, and there are some, and we'll talk about that later in in this series. But really, most often, the problem is in our own heart. Go from your Bible to Hebrews chapter 13. Because it's not just in the marriage or in the home or in the workplace that God instructs followers first. He's going to do the same thing here in the church. And then from this verse, I want to go into our message tonight because there's a great Bible principle for the heart of a faithful follower here in in this verse. Notice the same basic principle in Hebrews 13, verse 17. It says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. That's Instruction for the followers. Here's for the, the leaders. For they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. That they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Again, God gives his expectations for the followers. Obey, submit. He gives his expectations for the leaders. Watch for their souls because you're going to give an account for what you do. Now, in that... There's a great Bible principle. Did you see that? It says that they may give account it says that they may do it that is they may watch for your souls with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Here's the principle. Follow in a manner that makes the role of your leader a joy instead of a grief. Doing otherwise hurts you. By the way, that's a great principle. Follow in a manner that makes the role of your leader a joy instead of a grief. Doing otherwise hurts you. But what an incredibly spiritually minded act of humility. To follow in a manner so as to make them leading you a joy rather than a grief. Let me ask you a question. Do you make those who lead you, do you make their job a joy or a grief? Children, teenagers, do you make it a joy or a grief for your parents to lead you? Wives, do you make it a joy or a grief for your husband to lead your home? Ministry workers and people at Bible Baptist, do you make it a joy or a grief for those who try to lead you in ministry? In the workplace, do you make it a joy or a grief for your boss to lead you? When you're handled by the police or some official of the, of the government, someone with authority, do you make it a joy or a grief to lead you? It pleases Christ in every area where he has delegated some of his authority for followers to try to make leading them a joy. Wives ought to follow in such a way so as to make it a joy rather than a grief for their husband to lead them. Teens ought to follow their parents in a way that tries to make it a joy rather than a grief for their parents to lead them. Same is true in every other area of life. Let me ask you, would that describe the way you seek to be when you are in the role of a follower? It's amazing to me, some people are actually proud of the fact they're hard to lead. Proud of the fact that you know you're you're really uh, hard for your husband to lead. Proud teenagers, proud of the fact that you're really hard on your parents. Church members that are proud of the fact that they are hard on their ministry leader or pastor. There's something wrong with that. There's something that is ungodly about that whole mentality as we think about this principle, it does bring up a good question, and it's what I really want to talk about tonight, and I'm going to be brief, at least I think I'm going to be, which is this, how can I make the job of those who lead me a joy? Now some of those who lead us, we've picked ourselves. Our wives pick their husbands, church members pick their pastor, uh, employees pick their boss. Uh, by the way, you picked your boss, if you don't like your boss... Get another job. Other times, leaders, we didn't pick. We didn't pick our parents. We didn't elect the policemen who police us. But either way, it is our job to make their job a joy rather than a grief. Now, it's obvious when you think about what I can do to make their job a joy that we ought to be praying for them. I mean, listen, everybody needs grace. (laughs) Everybody needs wisdom. Everybody needs the help of God. Uh, one of the greatest things anybody does for anybody or anybody else is to simply pray for them and, and to really pray for them. You, you want to do something for me that makes a difference? Uh, pray for me. I mean, really pray for me. I, I need it. But I want to go through uh, a couple of practical things. I'm planning to do two tonight, and, and then if the Lord tarries, we'll do uh, two next, next Sunday night. Uh, some practical things from the scriptures, and that I've seen over the years that uh, great followers have in their hearts. Listen, there are some people, they, they're just really great children, great teenagers. I rebel against this idea that every teenager is a bad thing. I realize that some of them are punks, but you know what? There's some really good ones. I rebel against this whole idea that every wife is a contentious wife. I don't. There's some great women out there. Some great parents. There's some great church members. And I want to just talk about a couple things. To help make those who lead us to to make their job a joy. Uh, Please first go back in your Bible to Proverbs chapter ten. I hope you understand that everything from the Bible is not equally interesting. There are some important things that are not that interesting. There are some things that I can preach about, and they really just stir our hearts when we think about family and home and marriage and children, and we do that from time to time. Those are wonderful things. But there are some other practical things that are not, they don't stir our heart quite as much, but they are equally important to living a, uh, the right kind of life here and now. How can I make it a joy for those who lead me in some capacity? Number one. Seek out your leaders' flaws and weaknesses and try to cover them and compensate for them. Seek out your leaders' flaws and weaknesses and seek to cover them and compensate for them. Notice what it says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. By the way, that has nothing to do with covering up uh, gr- immorality or or illegal activities, nothing whatsoever. It has everything to do with how we handle the flaws and humanity and, yes, even the sins of people in the circle of our life and in the context of our message tonight, our leaders. Did you ever stop and think that if God wanted children to have perfect parents, he would have had them parented by angels? but yet he chose us. If God would have wanted every woman led in the home by a perfect individual, he'd have had an angel lead every home. If God would have wanted every church led by a perfect person, he'd have had an angel leading every church, but God didn't do that. And when we have the genuine love that we're supposed to have as a child for their parent, as a wife for a husband, as a church member for our leaders and pastors, uh, there is a kind of a covering. There is a, a, a way we seek to make up the gap and the difference. Same thing. Turn up to chapter 17 in Proverbs verse 9. It says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. He that repeateth the matter separateth the very friends. And again, I have to keep putting this caveat in there because this is the kind of thing that has been abused by some people to say, well, you shouldn't expose someone doing this that's illegal. Or, the, the, no, Listen, if you abuse somebody, we are reporting you to the police. That's not what it's talking about. If you're breaking the law, you are responsible to the law. It's not what it's talking about. Now listen, the fact of the matter is is that there are things that every leader needs to change and improve and no follower can change them. That leader has to change themselves or let God change them. And the fact of the matter is is that there are areas where every leader could stand to improve and you and I, when we follow them, we can actually help them. And we can help them do better. Now this is a hard thing because we live in a culture of criticism. And it is the way of our human nature and it is the way of our culture to literally just tear into everyone and every imperfection that they have. And it's no surprise in our society there really are no heroes anymore. Because we live in this information age and because of this general attitude and disposition of our culture, we are just so accustomed to anybody and everybody just having everything torn down about them. I mean, in fact, in a politics today, no one uh, approaches each, their, their opponent in the arena of ideas or facts. I mean, what goes on today is they go back as far as you can go and dredge up anybody who will make any kind of an accusation against somebody and then they publish it. As if every accusation was made by an honest person. And it's a tragedy because, you know what, there are people who have genuinely been abused and genuinely been hurt, and these people's story now is getting basically pushed aside into the gutter and made belittled because of all the accusations that are out there. Every authority other than Jesus has flaws that could be criticized. Young leaders tend to some. Older leaders tend to others. But listen to me tonight, if you have a leader, your parent, your husband, uh, your ministry leader, uh, if they're really sincerely just trying to follow Jesus and trying to do what's right and really just working diligently on their flaws, you know what? Give them a break and cover them instead of pound them for every error. Have you ever thought about this? When a follower makes their leader look good, in the end, they're ultimately making themselves look good. Listen, sister, you're not making yourself look good when you tear your husband down privately. That's not really helping you. I mean, it makes you feel good at the moment. But it's not helping. Teenagers, you you rip your parents all the time. You're not making yourself look good. I I mean, I've literally... Uh, heard one story from a teenager and think to myself, man, this parent is a real creep. I can't believe they parent like that. And then you meet the parent and you think to yourself, what? Proverbs chapter 31. Most of you know that that's the chapter in The Virtuous Woman, or at least a big part of the chapter. It's interesting, in the chapter about the virtuous woman, that because she was a virtuous woman, something happened to her husband. In Proverbs chapter 31, verse 23, it says, her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. See, the people who were the judges and the leaders, they sat at the gates and gave justice and judgment to people who came in. And because this lady was a virtuous lady, her husband rose to that Listen, every follower has power to make their leader a better person. Ladies, you have power to make your husband a better man. Uh, Teenagers, you have power to make your parents better people. That's a powerful thing. Proverbs chapter 23. Notice that you don't just go up and down by yourself. Proverbs 23 24 says, The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice. He that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. See, if you are a wise child, what happens to your parent? They get joy. Do you know what happens when a wife is wise? Husband gets joy. You have power. Same is true for pastors, bosses, anyone in rightful authority over theirs. Helping them do better only raises our own potential. Sadly, a lot of people, they've never grown as Christians or human beings enough to understand that when they tear down those that lead them, they're actually hurting themselves and lowering their own potential. Let me ask you: Are you someone who lifts up your leaders? Are you regularly critical of every flaw and disagreement? Do you looking to expose them? Remember, I'm not talking about doing anything illegal or immoral. That needs to be exposed. That's what am talking about? See when. Wise followers try for love's sake and for the sake of their own potential to cover the faults, flaws, and humanity of their leaders instead of exposing them. By the way, I mean, if you've been here very long, I mean, you know that I just, I am terrible at keeping some things organized in a ministry. I mean, terrible. I have tried all kinds of systems to remember. It was a great day when Joe Clawwitter came to me and says, you know what, C- can I just do the bulletin? And keep the details of it straight. Because he knew, I'm not good at it. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a, a teenager. You recognize the areas where your parents struggle. And instead of poking them in those areas, you, you cover those areas. I, I'm talking to wives here. You know your husband's flaws, his weaknesses, foibles. You know, you know that. Instead of just poking them all the time, why don't you just get in the gap? It'll make your home better. That's what I'm talking about. Make your leader's job a joy instead of a grief. But it's not just covering and filling in the gap. There's a second thing. Proverbs chapter 21. By the way, it's way easier to preach about theology. And for... You know, uh, you just show up every week, and we do this sometimes, and, and, and I go through some Bible doctor real easy. Th- this practical stuff is hard because we don't like it. But it really makes a difference in our life if we apply it. That's why God put it in the Bible. Here's number two. If you, you want to make your leader's uh, job a joy instead of a set a goal for yourself to never criticize him or her, uh, especially in public. Proverbs twenty-one, nineteen. 19. Uh, it's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry wo- woman. <laughs> By the way, if I, if I was a wife here, I'd make that one of my goals. I am not going to be a contentious and angry woman. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 15. It says, A continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. So what does that mean? You ever just, it rains all day long, you're just sitting inside, and it just gets gloomier and gloomer as the day goes on? There's rain and rain, you're sitting there rain and rain, and that's what it means. By the way, the same is true for a contentious and angry child. same is true for a contentious and angry church member. By the way, it's true for a contentious and angry employee. It's true for a contentious and angry person that the police pull over. Maybe we just need to get the idea that it's not good to be contentious and angry in our heart all the time. If you're uh, here and you're a lady and you think you can nag your husband uh, into being a better husband, you have it backwards. You see, when you nag your husband or when you uh, berate and belittle your boss or your ministry leader or your parent, inadvertently what you do is you tear the heart and courage out of some good people. And in the end, you hurt your own potential. And again, because people abuse this stuff, I have to pause and give a caveat. I mean, if you're a husband, you're not above criticism. If you're a parent, you're not above criticism. If you're a ministry leader, or me as a pastor, we're not above criticism. That's not what I'm talking about. And I get that people take this stuff and they say, well, I'm the husband here. Listen, if you've got to say that, there's already something wrong in the way you're handling your home. But I'm just simply saying there's a big difference in public criticism and personal one-on-one feedback you give to somebody's face. Give people honest feedback as followers. But open criticism of any leader, it tears down that person's confidence and it tears down everyone else's confidence in them. And you know, one of the things that happened, there's a lot of ladies here, you're critical of the fact that your husband doesn't make any decisions, and I'll tell you why, he's afraid to. Is over the years, everything that he's done has been Monday morning quarterback, and you finally have him now to where he's afraid to do anything. Men are weak. We're simple creatures. I am one. I can say that. And it all happens all the time. The heart of good men, good parents, it's... Torn out of them. Good. You, you wonder why nobody wants to step up and be a leader a lot of times? Because everybody feels like because they're the leader, now they're fair game for every kind of criticism. I feel bad sometimes for our ladies that put on events, and then other ladies walking in, oh, look at those decorations, look at those colors, all oh, this food. Pfft. Stay home. And we inadvertently, with our careless and casual criticism of parents and spouses and ministry leaders and anybody who steps up, we steal the heart of everyone and we make it such a grief to lead us. It should be a joy. Listen, wise leaders who are teachable people, they welcome constructive private feedback. I didn't say they always instantly respond right, but they want that. Listen, there's a big difference, ladies, in in, in you privately, quietly talking to your husband about something, and, and you just tearing down everything he does in front of your friends, in front of your parents, in front of your family, in front of everybody else. No wonder he's afraid to step up. I'm telling you, men can't take it. And young men really can't take it. And followers in any area of life, if they're immature and they're prideful and unwise, they've just never grasped that they don't get themselves anywhere by tearing down those who God placed in their life to help them. I mean, isn't it a shame? I mean, and I catch myself doing this all the time. We're so quick to point out our differences. Am I the only one that sometimes catches myself? There's somebody or some ministry that I agree with 95%, and I have to always mention the 5% I don't agree with. There's something wrong with that mentality. And we all have it. And that doesn't make it a joy for those who lead us. Constant criticism and contention destroys the confidence of even the best and most confident leaders and ultimately hurts us. Constant criticism makes good leaders average, average leaders bad, and bad leaders even worse. The fact of the matter is, most of us underestimate the weight and the pain of our constant criticism. And uh, by the way, I'm going to just pause and thank God for my wife. Yesterday was uh, our 34-year anniversary. And I'm a better man today because my wife has not been my constant critic though I have often given her plenty of reason to be critical. I'm talking about parents constantly criticizing coaches, teachers, ministry leaders. Why are you doing that? Why are you tearing down all those authorities? Can can I tell you what I've seen happen in my life 100% of the time? When a parent tears down every other authority in the life of their child, the day eventually comes when that child will treat that parent's authority like that parent treated every other authority through their life. Please hear me. Don't do that. Always ask yourself, will my remark help or tear down my leader or does the person I'm talking to need to know this? If it's tearing somebody down and and that person doesn't need to know it, why are you keeping talking about it? Are you a critic? Are you a contentious person? Do you find yourself regularly tearing down rightful authority? Please stop. I get that our fallen nature just makes us all so inclined to this. I get this. I have the same fallen nature. But I'm just saying, if you and I are going to have healthy relationships and handle the authority God established in these areas of our life rightly, we're never going to do well when we tear it all down. Which brings up a good question. What should I do when I strongly disagree with rightful authority or I'm deeply concerned? We'll have to get to that next week. If you quietly stand tonight.